dadgummit, the legendary Bobby Bowden has passed away. The Dem and Lib Elite are partying like it's 1999. And one and a half years into the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus pandemic, do doctors even know how to properly treat the virus? I'll tell you. Bold Alpha is presented by Davidoff of Geneva, makers of Camacho and the Camacho Corojo, built with authentic Honduran Corojo to deliver a bold experience for those that defy the status quo. Prepare for the intensity with Camacho Corojo. Camacho, strength and character. It's in our DNA. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com and by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Nicaraguan series, loaded with all Nicaraguan leaf from the renowned Aganorsa Farms. The Gurkha Nicaraguan series is the fullest bodied cigar in the Gurkha portfolio. Peppery, spicy, and rich while maintaining absolute smoothness. Add the Gurkha Nicaraguan series to your humidor today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Greetings and salutations from Command Center Alpha. It is Alpha Dave, your global general and five-star alpha male-in-chief. And we welcome you to Bold Alpha, your one-stop source for alpha male pleasure maneuver conversation and, of course, unabashed commentary as politically incorrect as it may be. Not only has the football world lost a legend, but I think mankind has too. The great Bobby Bowden has passed away. Longtime Florida State University football coach. Before that, for 10 years, he was the head football coach at West Virginia University in Morgantown, WV. And I really was not that familiar with Bobby Bowden until I moved. I mean, I knew who he was. But when I moved to Tampa, moved to Florida in late 1988, that's when I really became a huge Bobby Bowden fan. Started to watch the games, started to watch his his uh, post-game show that he would record with longtime play-by-play man Gene Deckerhoff. And just really got to see Bobby Bowden, not only as a great football coach, but as a unique personality, a character, and certainly a man with impeccable integrity. And that certainly was... I think, on display throughout his entire 91-year life. And over the last couple of days since he passed away Sunday morning, I've gone online and watched a lot of his speeches, many of his speeches, some of the features that were done by ESPN, the ACC Network, about Bobby Bowden. Let me tell you a personal story how I first met Coach Bowden. When I moved to Florida in late 1988, I did so to operate a full-service AM station in suburban Tampa. Now, at the time, a full-service station, kind of like KMOX or WBEN, WBAL, many of the well-known stations back in the AM heydays, where they had some music, but a big morning show with a lot of news, information, talk, sports, kind of a little bit of everything, if you will. And we eventually changed the format to more of a talk with uh, a lot of sports on weekends. We carried the Florida State Seminoles. We carried uh, the Notre Dame football package. We carried the CBS Westwood One package. So we had a lot of football, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, local high school football. But at the time, uh, I was approached by the 
affiliate manager, general manager of host communications that had the the uh, radio contract, the play-by-play contract for the Seminoles, and they wanted a full-time outlet in the area where the station I was running uh, was located. So it came down, and we struck a deal, and uh, I said, great, love to have the Seminoles, football, basketball, but I said, the deal is, I know we can get this sold to a number of advertisers that are big FSU alum, but you got to give me season tickets. Dave, no problem. So, I mean, I had eight season tickets you know, 45, 50-yard line, about a dozen rows up, and that was a wonderful way to enhance advertisers to come on, especially guys that were FSU grads. Well, they had an affiliate party uh, early on. This was, I think, 1989, and got invited up, so went up to the affiliate party, and uh, lo and behold, the general manager of the network says, listen, you know, after the game, you want to come over and uh, maybe it was 90. I, it was, I think I went to the first one, and then there was a second one that I went to, and that's when I got to meet uh, Coach Bowden. He said, look, I'll take you down to the locker room afterwards, get a chance to meet Coach Bowden, whatever. Oh, great, fantastic. And let me tell you, here's a coach who is in his prime, winning games, turn that program around. And I remember going the first Florida State football game I went to was right after Thanksgiving, I think in 1989 or 90. The end of season game was always their intrastate rival, the Florida Gators. And I think it was put in by law that they had to play each other. And it was in Tallahassee, it was a night game. I have been to tons of football games uh, uh, at, by that time, but I had never experienced anything like that. It was crazy. The atmosphere, the stands, and that was before they built the super-duper deluxe uh, a stadium now that really is a architectural, magnificent piece of, uh, just a piece of art. It was like an erector set. But it was hopping, and it was crazy, and I'd never – the atmosphere was electric, and I could see Coach Bowden wearing his Seminoles, uh, you know, his garnet and the gold pullover, and it just – just watching him was just fascinating. But then when I had the chance to meet him the following season after the game, and there are so many people that wanted to come up to him, nicest guy that could be. And when you were with him, you were the only guy around. And he asked you questions. Oh, you're from, you know, you're from Zephyr Hills. Oh, great. Hey, listen, I remember speaking to a booster club just outside of there. He had an impeccable, just incredible, just a real pleasure. And I'm, number one, a Syracuse Orange football fan since I'm an alum of Syracuse. But my second favorite team has always been, since that time, the Florida State Seminoles. You can call them the Bobby Bowden Seminoles because he turned that program around. And when you think about all the top five finishes – 10 bowl game wins in a row, two national championships. Probably should have had more, but, you know, wide right uh, at Miami certainly was not optimal. And, again, they had to play Miami at the time, and those were the big teams in the country. But what an incredible life. And I had the chance to listen to him and his speeches. He was, a you know, certainly a devout religious man, uh, but not the kind of person that would basically proselytize other people. But certainly he had impeccable character. And he was married, I think, 72 years, and he just had a great story. Uh, Just a number of great stories talking about his family, his wife. And one of the interesting stories he relayed was that one of his first jobs was as the head football coach, head basketball coach 
and athletic director at a small Georgia school. And at the time, he was coaching at Howard University, which became uh, Samford University, which is now Samford University in Alabama. Had the opportunity, gets interviewed, gets the job. And first it was for the football job. And then, of course, when he takes it and he gets to the campus, they say, well, coach, not only are you the head coach of football, you're also the head coach of basketball and the athletic director. Now, Bobby said, I didn't know much about basketball, but nonetheless, what am I going to say? So he relays how the fact that in his first season as basketball coach, he said, I went 11 and 11. That's not bad. And he proceeds to say 11 losses at home and 11 losses on the road. Great sense of humor. He said, as the athletic director, I did the smart thing. I fired me. So just some great stories that he uh, passed along. Great joke teller. Just always, and at least to see the number of players that came around uh, that, that talked about Coach Bowden. And I'm talking about every race, every religion. And he always went into the home. That was He was the closer. And he'd go into the home and, and he would say, listen, now I'm going to coach him on the field, but I'm going to coach him about life and to be a good person. And let me tell you, the parents saw him, saw the man of integrity, and they're like, you're going to Florida State. And it was not a difficult sell because not only was the program great, but the, the aura of Bobby Bowden was great. And, and it was a very familiar atmosphere, very family-oriented. Uh, they'd always have dinners where it was the players, the coaches, the coaches' family. I think they did it like every Wednesday. So it was very interesting to see Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, can't call him D. I've got to call him Coach Pratt. Otherwise, I get very upset. He may leave the room. But he, he had a, an Instagram post and a Twitter post saying that uh, best coach, you know, he ever had. Man of tremendous integrity. And that was the same sentiments that were echoed by hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, players and coaches and other people that he was around. Uh, little, little fact. that you, uh, Sergeant Steve, did you know? that when Bobby Bowden was at Florida State as head coach, that wasn't his first stint at Florida State. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't. He was the wide receivers coach for three years, I want to say from 65 to, I think, 68 or 69, before he took the offensive coordinator job at West Virginia and then eventually got the head coaching job after five years when – the head coach of West Virginia at the time was taking a job, I think, at Texas A&M. So Bowden got that job at West Virginia. But very interesting. He was a wide receivers coach for three years. Amongst the players that he coached, a one Burt Reynolds. Interesting factoid. Huh. That's right. And uh, Lee Corso, our good buddy from ESPN, very close to Coach Bowden. In fact, I've got to give Lee a call this week. I'm sure he's... Uh, Certainly very upset about that. But what an incredible life that Bobby Bowden left, 91 years. Uh, and what's amazing is his home address and his home telephone number were always listed in the Tallahassee phone book. People would stop by, and if you wanted something signed, people would say they would leave it at the front door with a note, mm-hmm. and he would sign it and have it back on the, you know, the yeah, front. Yeah, come back about three days later, and there it'll be. And it would be. And a number of reporters said, you know, I see his number, and I figured, well, you know, I'd like to do an interview. I hope I, you know, it's kind of weird. I'm going to call the man at home. And he would answer, or his wife Ann would answer, yeah, sure, yeah, come by. And uh, one of the female reporters was talking about, I think she was working at the time for the Orlando Sentinel. She's now with ESPN. And she wanted to do an article 
about uh, Ann Bowden. And her paper said, yeah, that would be great. You know, the, the woman behind the coach. And they've been married at that time for whatever, 50 years or whatever. So she said, you know, everybody said his number is listed in the Tallahassee phone book. So I pick up the phone one day and I call and Ann answers. And she, the reporter says, I tell her who I am, that I'm from Orlando. We'd like to do a story just about you and, you know, about this and that. And she says, I was on the phone with her for about 10 minutes, nice as can be. And she says, well, why don't you just come up to the house and pick me up and we'll go out to lunch and we can talk for as long as you want. Sure enough, she goes up later that week, goes to the Bowden household, picks up Ann Bowden, takes her out to lunch and wrote a great story. And she relayed that. And the same thing with Coach Bowden. Like, you know, they said uh, uh, some reporters would say, Coach, can I, you know, can I get an interview? Yeah, come on over to the house. He always had time for everybody. There was a, a, um, uh, a, a Twitter post I think I saw. It was either Instagram or, or Twitter, an article that at the time – there was a reporter for the college, I think the campus radio station, and certainly he wasn't, you know, big media, he wasn't ESPN, he wasn't any of the big networks, any of the big newspapers or wire services at the time. Uh, and he, same thing, picked up the phone, called Coach Bowden and said, Coach, you know, I'm with the, uh, uh, the radio station, and any chance I could do an interview? I know you're probably busy. And he said, sure, why don't you come on by tomorrow at uh, whatever, 4 o'clock. And sure enough, he said, Coach Bowden took as much time as he needed. And Nick Saban, uh, Stars and Steve, did you hear the, the story that Nick Saban relayed about Coach Bowden? I don't know if you heard that. Which one? Uh, when Nick Saban was a graduate assistant at Kent State University in Ohio, Nick Saban initially is from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I think he was only about 20 miles, uh, 25 miles from Morgantown. But Bobby Bowden, coach of the West Virginia Mountaineers at the time, knew Nick Saban's father, because Nick Saban's father was, I think, a Pop Warner coach. And somehow their their paths crossed and they knew each other. Well, when Nick Saban was a graduate assistant at Kent State, Nick's father passed away. And about a week after, a week or so or two later, gets a call. And they say, it's Coach Bowden. Bobby Bowden's out of the other end and said, listen, uh, Nick, you know, I I heard that your uh, mama's having a tough time uh, with your daddy passing away. And he said, now listen, he said, uh, you want to come back and be closer to home? I got a place for you on my coaching staff. And Nick Saban said, I, I was astounded. I, I you know, didn't know what to say. And he said, first of all, how many coaches would do that? And number two, how many people would do that? And I don't think Nick, I think Nick ended up staying where he was. But he said, the mere fact that he said, I didn't even know Coach Bowden, but Coach Bowden knew my father. And he picked up the phone and said, you need a job? You want to be close to your mother? I got one for you. And that was the kind of class that Bobby Bowden had. Here's another story. Now, did you see, uh, I think it was We Are Marshall. Was that the name of the movie, Sergeant Mm -hmm. Steve? You remember that? Yep. Uh, Yeah. And there is the new coach at Marshall. And for those of you that may not remember this, uh, the Marshall University football team was coming back after playing a game on the road. And their plane, it was foggy. Uh, their plane crashed on final approach. No survivors. Certainly devastating. To this day, it remains the worst accident in uh, any pro or, or uh, college athletic history. Well, they started the program. Marshall said, we're going to start. We, 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 as a tri- we have to keep the program going. So they hire a new coach. 
and I can't remember the coach's name, but there's a scene in the movie where he basically shows up at West Virginia and says, hey, coach, you know, um, any chance we can, you know, talk to you about, they wanted to run the Veer offense. Any chance we can talk to you about it? And he's so bowed and said, now this is how they portray the movie. He says, wait a minute. You wanted me to come, you want to come here, my, my, my arrival, and give you our playbook and see our films? And the coach says, yeah. Bobby says, come on back. And he gives them the, shows them where all the films are. Nothing was on video. It was all on, on film, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whatever it was, 16-millimeter film. And he says, help yourself. Here's the playbook. Opened it up. And a couple of the players walk in, and unbeknownst, on the back of the helmet, they had a uh, – a cross, and they had the Marshall, the M for Marshall, as a tribute. And uh, the coach for Marshall looks up and says, real class, coach, class all the way. Well, that was a true story. I actually researched that to find out if that was just Hollywood or if that was true, 100% true. Bobby Bowden uh, invited the coaches over, spent time with them, opened up their entire uh, video, their, their film library to them to look at all the film they wanted, Gave them the playbook. Gave them the pl- How many coaches, again, would do that? Very few. But Coach Bowden looked and said, well, we're not playing you guys this year, so go ahead. take." Now, he would have done it, I'm telling you, even if he would, because that's the kind of classy guy that he was. And I thought those two stories really spoke volumes about uh, Coach Bobby Bowden. And certainly he was a, a – even after he, he left uh, uh, the Seminoles – and he just wanted one more year. And my feeling at the time was, a legend like that, give him one more year. You had Jimbo Fisher on your staff. He was the coach in waiting. He was going to get there. You could have said, hey, listen, Coach Bowden is going to coach one more year. Then it's going to be Coach Fisher. I felt they should have given him one more year. Uh, now, at the time, they were you know, kind of on the slide a little bit. But they were getting built back up again because, again, they had a good offensive coordinator, Jimbo Fisher, who was going to be the head coach. And to me, a legend like that, you give him one year, and in his book he kind of wrote about it, and he said, I actually did the university a favor because they were going to fire me. And he said, I knew the backlash. They would never recover from that. So I said, I'm, I'm resigning. Now, he said, I wasn't happy about it, but I got over it. And initially he was going to leave Tallahassee. And the more they thought about it, they said, nope, we're going to stay in Tallahassee. And to the very end, his phone number and his address listed in the phone book. And over the last number of years, he was on the lecture circuit. He would speak, uh, still high in demand at dinners. And, uh, and he said, I would go uh, pretty much anywhere because he really uh, enjoyed speaking. And really, uh, it was interesting. On Sundays, he would go to many churches and he would uh, kind of deliver a very inspirational sermon. But when you think about uh, Bobby Bowden, I think to me, just class, great sense of humor. And I'll never forget you know, he was just a down-home kind of guy. Even from Dad Gummit. Now, Dad Gummit, we're going to... I'd never heard the word Dad Gummit. I'm like, what? Dad Gummit? But just the way he said it. Now, Dad Gummit, we're going to go out there. We're going to play hard. I'll never forget some of the commercials he did. He did one for Ford Taurus at the time. And I can just picture Bobby getting the script, the, the, the script, the script saying, all right, boys, i tell you what. Coach knows what to do. We got it covered. And the, the, the commercial kind of went like this. I like Taurus. Now, Taurus, listen to me here now, is a good car. You're going to like Taurus. You're going to like how it looks. You're going to like how it drives. So go, go get yourself over to Ford dealer and get yourself a Taurus. That's essentially, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but that's essentially what the commercial was. And when you listen to him, you'd say, 
Dad Gummit, that guy loves Taurus. You could just see him driving around. And, I don't know what he drove, but you could say, I could see him driving around in a Taurus. And even the commercials he did, there was a big potato chip company at the time in the southeast. I don't even know if they're still around called Golden Flake. And I remember that all the, the, the coaches in the southeast, Alabama, Bear Bryant, Bobby Bowden, Steve Spurrier, they all had contracts to endorse Golden Flake potato chips. And they were all... Golden Flake was like the official potato chip of the SEC, of Florida State, of every stadium. And just watching some, and you can go to YouTube and watch some of these old commercials. And I, just Bobby Bowden sitting there. Now, listen here. I like me some good potato chips. Golden Flake tastes good. All right? It is fine. It is crunchy. You're going to like it. You know, of course, he takes the potato chip, the crunch, and you're saying to yourself, i got to go out and get some Golden Flake potato chips. Because Bobby Bowden was sincere. He was a no-bullshit kind of guy. Up and up. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect, and he would tell you that. But some great, just overall, between the, the affection shown by other coaches, other players. I think the stories that I relayed about what Nick Saban said, about when, when Nick Saban's dad died and he heard that uh, Nick's mother was not doing well, he said, I got a job for you. I mean, what he did for Marshall University, opening up the film library, giving him the playbook, that's class. And I don't think you see that today anymore. You know, when I think of class coaches, Sergeant Steve, tell me if you'd agree with this. The, the guys that I think about, Bobby Bowden, Gene Stallings. I don't know if you, you, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people may not be familiar with Gene Stallings, but uh, he was in college. I always thought that he was not a good fit for as a head coach of a pro team, but college, especially his last stop at Alabama, did a great job. And he left while he was on top. They had just won a championship, and they, were, they had a winning program. Uh, I think Don Shula, Marv Levy. To me, those are the guys that when I think about class and integrity, I think of those guys. Would you agree on that, Sergeant Steve? I agree with all those, yeah. Any, anybody else you'd add to that list? Before my time, but Paul Brown. Paul Brown, yep. Paul Brown, yep, low-key kind of guy. But uh, well-loved, I mean, look, mm -hmm. look at the disciples that he ended up, uh, Bill Walsh. And, and uh, I didn't realize how tight Bill Walsh was with, uh, uh, with, with Paul Brown. And actually, the big mistake the, the Bengals yep. made, and I know you told me this, Steve, is that when Paul Brown was stepping down, instead of naming Bill Walsh as the head coach, he named a guy that had been with him a little bit longer. That turned out to be a mistake. Yep, and Bill Walsh left for California, and the rest is history. The rest is history, exactly. You got that right. But, again, he learned a lot from Paul Brown. So I think of those kind of coaches. Now, where Command Center Alpha headquarters are located, we there are a ton of VIPs that come through the building. A lot of athlete, uh, athletes, a lot of uh, many coaches, head coaches, pro coaches, uh, uh, college coaches. And let me just relay a couple of stories for you. Nick Saban comes in. who's on a recruiting trip, and I see him coming through the building in the lobby. And so I always like to joke with these coaches. I'm a Syracuse fan, and Syracuse is no threat to win a national championship anytime soon, especially under Dino Babers. That's, another, that's a topic for another day. But – I see Coach Saban, and he's wearing his uh, crimson jacket, and he's got the crimson-colored tie on, and he's, it always looks good. And he was on his cell phone. He gets off his phone, and I was jokingly, I kidded him. I said, Coach, listen, my Syracuse Orange men have already been here. They've gotten all the five-star recruits, so you can go back to Alabama. Now, you know, you don't know how they're going to react. He starts laughing. He smiles, and he says, you know, I actually coached at Syracuse. Now, I didn't know that at the time. I said, you did? Come on. He said, yeah. 
He said, I was the defensive backs coach for a year under when, when uh, Paul, uh, um, is it Bill Maloney? Paul Maloney, whatever it was, uh, was the head coach at uh, Syracuse. That was before Dick McPherson got there. And I said, I had no idea. He said, yep, was there at Syracuse and had a great year there. I said, all right, coach. Well, even then, they've already come in, and you know, he kind of laughed, shook my hand. Pleasant guy. Now, he's not the kind of guy you want to go out and have a beer with. Um, he's a pretty low-key guy. He's not you know, like a Bobby Bowden. Um, but that was the first thing. Uh, Sergeant Steve, who was the previous coach at Auburn that got fired that now I think is the head coach at uh, is it UCF now? Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn. So Gus Malzahn comes through. This is got to be maybe six months before he gets whacked uh, or after the season. He was coming right before the season he got whacked. Comes in on the Auburn University plane. He's going through the lobby, and I see him. Now, he comes in like in a sweatsuit, and he goes into one of the restrooms, and five minutes later, he comes out wearing a tie. Now, clearly... He was either, oh, I think I know what he was going. I think if I'm not mistaken, he was attending the Outback Bowl signing ceremony. So we made the change. You know, they sign the contract. They get a box of cigars. And they make a big deal. They do interviews, and then they fly back. So as he comes through, and I said, hey, coach, listen, my Syracuse Orange men, they already got all the five-star recruits. They got, you, you can go. And he just looked at me, didn't say a word, not even a snicker, not even like, hey, good one, man, not even to shake my hand. He just like shakes his head, walks right by. And as he walks by, I go, nice talking to you too, coach. No personality. When he got whacked, I was actually thrilled. And to me, the coaches like Bobby Bowden that are accessible, and, and I, I don't even know if it's a function, it, it could be a function of the tremendous money now. People will say, well, coaches have tremendous demands on their time. Do you think Coach Bowden didn't? you think uh, 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 Bear Bryant didn't? You name any of the great coaches. They all had tremendous demands on their time. They all had to do the shows. They all had to uh, do the appearances and, and talk to the booster clubs. You know, when you're a head coach, you're not just the head coach. You're the head PR guy. You're the head schmoozer. You're the head salesman. you got to do everything. But to me, when I see the coaches today, they're not as well-rounded as Bobby Bowden. They're all in one gear, and that's football gear. That's all they really know how to talk about. Like, if you were to sit down and talk to Bobby Bowden about World War II or talk about politics, or Marv Levy, for that matter, who was a Harvard graduate, you could sit there for hours, and they'd talk to you about a multitude of subjects. A lot of these guys today, like a Kirby Smart, now I don't know the man, or a Steve Spurt, you think you could sit there, Sergeant Steve, for a couple hours and talk about world history and politics? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, Kirby Smart, no. Steve Spurrier, maybe. Maybe. I mean, but look at some of these other coaches. Now Nick that Saban, he's retired, when probably. he was coaching, maybe not. Mm. But, you know, you look at a lot of these guys today. I just don't think they have the – they don't have the aura. They don't have the personality. Bobby Bowden – I think was just such an outsized personality that it's difficult to compare because you can't compare anybody, I think, to him. But to me, if you just take a look at, at Bobby Bowden, the fact that personable, affable, would stop to talk to anybody. And even people said, hey, at the stadium, whether it was the janitor, the custodial staff, whether it was the support crew, he treated everybody like you were talking to him one-on-one -on -one because he was a humble guy. You know, there was no pretense with him. I never got the impression... And talking to people that know him said the same thing. He's not the kind of guy that's going to say, hey, listen, you know, put me over the corner of this restaurant, nobody bother me. Put me in a back room, I don't want to mm -hmm. see anybody. Now, the coaches today, oh, absolutely. He's not like that. He enjoyed 
the fact that people would come up. He enjoyed the interaction because he was such a personable and affable gentleman. So you're describing him, it sounds like Joe Madden, former Rays manager here. Exactly. Joe Madden, same thing. I've seen Joe Madden out and about Mm -hmm. and said, you know, and you just call him Joe. I mean, you don't call a manager, hey, manager. It's different. You don't call him coach. But Joe would be out and about, and you'd see him, say hello to him. You're exactly right. Uh, Those are the kind of guys. And I think Bruce Arians, I'm sure, is the kind of guy, if you say, hey, coach, want to – Want a crown royal? I got one for you. Hey, baby. Winner Let's lose, we booze. We, yeah, you're right. We, that's exactly right. What is it? Uh, no risk it, no biscuit. Come on, yep. baby. Let's let's have the crown. So, you know, those are the kind of coaches, I think, that are always, to me, not only are they successful on the field, but I think they're successful overall because, and not every, look, not everybody's been born with a personality. Not everybody is going to have the outgoing, gregarious personality. Just not how it is. But to me, I think that college football, and I think humanity has lost just a great person, an affable person. The state of Florida has lost uh, a great person. The likes I don't think we'll probably ever see again. We're not. He was really just bigger than life, the kind of guy that you would see approachable. I'll tell you, another guy that I would put in that category was Dick McPherson, the longtime coach at Syracuse University. Coach Mack would go to the Varsity Pizza Restaurant owned by the Dellis family. Uh, That place has been around for 80, 90 years on Marshall Street. And you would see him at lunch. He'd be there at least three, four times a week. And he would talk to all the students. You know, he'd always have his navy blue blazer on, his orange and blue uh, Syracuse tie. And you could go right up to him. Hey, coach, how you doing? Affable, would talk to you about anything. And to me, when I think college, you lose that today where a lot of these coaches just don't interact with the students. But uh, Coach Mack also made it a, a, a priority. Very affable, big personality as well. Brent Musburger, I remember on every football broadcast saying, one of my favorite guys, the great Coach Dick McPherson, Coach Mack, one of the greats, the ambassador. And he really was. Those are the kind of guys I think we don't see anymore is it because the money is so huge, there's more pressure? Maybe. But ultimately, I still think when you're at a college, you ought to be around the students. And, I mean, you could see Coach Bobby Bowden loved being around him. Uh, uh, I think I, I think Steve Spurrier did as well. Uh, and there was a great – Bobby Bowden had a great line. He said, now, you know how before a game, you always the head coaches always go to midfield and shake hands? Well, of course, except Steve Spurrier. Spurrier wouldn't do it. Spurrier was kind of a sourpuss. And, uh, you know, said some things that I thought were not very classy. But Bobby Bowden always kind of had the best of him. One, one quick thing. There was a before a game, a big Florida-Florida State game. Sergeant Steve, I don't know if you heard this, but the quarterback for Florida at the time threw a football in the direction, wanted to hit Bobby Bowden. Now, it wasn't accidental. Now, there was no discipline, and a lot of people were – pissed that that uh, Spurrier didn't discipline the, the quarterback so they asked Bobby Bowden about it he said now coach you know would you have done anything different if uh you know your your quarterback you know threw a football at Bobby at uh, at Steve Spur he goes yeah he goes first of all our, our quarterback wouldn't have missed and that had the whole room cracking up and that was the end of that but he always knew how to diffuse it and I'll tell you I think the biggest testament is the number of opposing coaching coaches that talked about, about him. So, look, I love the guy. 
having the chance to meet him, I thought was fantastic. I knew people that were very close to Bobby Bowden, and they said, what you see is what you get. A Just a huge loss. Uh, he is going to be laid to rest in Alabama in a private ceremony on Saturday, but he's going to lie in repose, I believe, at the state capitol this Friday and then also at the Florida State University Athletic Center Friday afternoon. So Coach Bobby Bowden, rest in peace. A, an absolute legend, a one-of-a-kind, the likes we will never see again, Dad Gummit. For six decades, Camacho has been working hard to build the best damn cigars around, perfecting, preserving the authentic Corojo seed that's the foundation of the Camacho blends. They talk about strength and character, and that is in Camacho's DNA. And so is the Camacho Corojo cigar. Complex, flavorful, no compromises. It is bold, it is rich, it is tasty. And it's built using wrapper, binder, and filler that is grown and harvested in the legendary Hamastron Valley in Honduras. A fifth priming wrapper, deep, dark, rich, three primings in the filler. What you get is a cigar strikingly dark in appearance. Camacho Corojo makes a statement with intensity that's backed up by cedar and earthy notes. A bold experience for those that defy the status quo. Camacho, strength and character. It's in our DNA. Well, the Dems and Libs are partying like it's 1999, and we have multiple examples. Exhibit A, Obama celebrating his 60th birthday at his Martha's Vineyard estate. 12, 13 acres, $12 million he paid for this, I think, 8,500-square-foot house. And here's what's amazing. We always hear all the Dems and Libs talk about Climate change. We have an existential crisis with climate change. Sea levels are rising. The, the, the earth is going, it's having the flu. Temperatures are rising and cooling and, and you name it. There's something going on with the climate. But it's always, ever notice with the Dems and Libs, everything's a crisis. It's an existential crisis. Okay? If we don't do anything now about creating America into a social estate, it's a crisis. If we don't do anything right now, by not wearing masks, it's a crisis. Climate is a crisis. Everything today is a crisis. The Democrats can't live, can't function if there's no crisis. They have to have a crisis for breakfast. They have to have a crisis for lunch. They have to have a crisis for dinner. They have to have a crisis for a midnight snack. Then they get up in the middle of the night, and at 3 in the morning, they can't sleep. They can't think because there's some other crisis they have to get involved with. So they have another snack. It is just a nonstop 24-hour seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year crisis for a Dem and a Lib. It's such a crisis that Obama, who for years went around the country, he'd go to Miami, he'd go to Tampa, he'd go to New York, every coastal city, and say, we have an existential crisis, the climate, the sea levels are rising at unprecedented rates. At this rate, in 10 years, meaning like, uh, you know, 2015, 2020, all the coastal cities will be underwater. We have to do something now, as he would say. And look, no, no, look. Sea levels are rising because of the climate. It's an existential crisis. We've got to do something now. Well, he is so concerned about the rising coastal sea levels 
that Obama purchased a year or two ago a $12 million, a $12 million mega estate in Martha's Vineyard, not only at sea level, but on the water. His house is about eh, maybe a stone's throw. Maybe it's 100 feet from the water. Now, let me ask you a question. If you are so concerned about rising tides, rising sea levels, that the coast in five years, 10 years is going to be underwater, would you drop 12 large, 12 million large on an estate at sea level on the water? As I have stated numerous times, climate change is nothing more than a way for the elites to transfer wealth from the lower class and middle class and even the lower upper class to the globalist elite top 1% and elitist politicians. Do as I say, not as I do. And we now have Exhibit B. Saturday evening, Obama celebrating his 60th birthday, wearing a light-colored Hawaiian shirt, white pants, has a giant party. Now, initially, it was going to be 600 people and 200 uh, uh, caterers and staff, but he cut it down. He dropped it from 800 to 600. He had to disinvite people. He disinvited Nancy Pelosi. How'd you like that? He disinvited um, David Axelrod, who was the man that got him to the White House. He was the political genius, the brains behind the campaign and operation. And apparently, many of his former staffers, his close inner circle, were dumped at the last minute because he said, well, we got to cut it down. Because he, The only reason he cut it down is because of all the pressure and heat he was getting by saying, wait a minute, you're saying we've got this Delta variant going around and everybody should mask up and we shouldn't have these super spreader events, but you're still going to have it. And the excuse he said was, well, everybody's got to wear masks and everybody's going to get vaccinated, has to be vaccinated, and everybody has to get their temperature checked. All bullshit. One, as the... One of the great Tampa Bay Lightning Russian players would say, number one bullshit. Total number one bullshit. And that's exactly what it was. So he cuts the guest list from 500, 600 to 400. And the people that got cut were pissed. They were pissed. They were hurt saying, wait a minute. We get disinvited. And it was basically a call saying, you can't come. People that had been with him from the get-go. Obama, we just talked about Bobby Bowden, a man with impeccable integrity, great class, affable. Obama has no integrity, has no class. I don't care how much money of a Netflix deal Obama, Michelle and Barack Obama got. I don't care how many millions they've raked in with their book sales and their, uh, their, their Spotify deal and all the speaking engagements. Money and class are two independent items. They may have money, but the Obamas have no class. I can tell you, if I ever threw a party, and there were people that were with me from the beginning, and I had to cut people, and I'd say, well, you know who I'm going to cut? I'm going to cut those people that I'm really, you know, maybe the celebrities or other people that I'm not as friendly with. But the people that have been around me from the beginning, that's who is going to attend the party. That's it. But no, he wanted to have all the VIPs. He wanted to have the Oprahs and the John Legends and Christy Teigen. She's another winner. 
So he throws this big party. Now, people that live on the island of Martha's Vineyard were pissed. They were apoplectic. Secret Service every two minutes is shutting down roads, blocking roads, changing roads, blocking things off. Major inconvenience. Now, how did all these VIPs, these ultra-liberals, these big Dem donors, these big Obama worshipers, the ones that talk about climate change being an existential crisis, existential, we've got to do something immediately. By the way, the World Health Organization said, if we don't do something immediately, within five years, it'll be too late. And of course, now all the libstream media is saying, we have to do something now. We got to get rid of fossil fuels. We got to go to electric vehicles. Never mind, we don't have enough power plants for that. Never mind, you'd have to build more nuclear, which nobody wants. Or you'd have to build natural gas-fired power plants. Nobody wants that. But again, they never think about the long term. So what do all? how do all these elitists... These Hollywood libs, the Beltway liberals, how do they all get to Martha's Vineyard? By private jet. Steven Spielberg private jet. John Kerry, Mr. Climate Change Czar. We have to do something immediately. How did he get there? Oh, in his private jet. All these celebrities, all these big dem donors, the big libs, how do they all arrive on Martha's Vineyard? You got it. By private jet. Oh, and how are they chauffeured around? In big gas-guzzling SUVs. I have no problem with a big gas-guzzling SUV. I drive one. But when I'm being told, you got to drive a, an EV, you got to drive a little Yugo or whatever, you, you should walk, okay? You should take the bus, public transportation, because we've got an existential crisis threat going on because of climate change. Spare me. So now the details come out. No masks, no social distancing. And of course, when, it's, when two Republicans or three Republicans get together for lunch, the Dems and the Libstream media call that a super spreader event. The big Sturgis motorcycle rally in South Dakota took place, I think, last week. And of course, Fauci comes out and says, oh, it's a super spreader event. I'm very concerned it's a super spreader event. Now, last year, I think they had thousands of people. They had like 10 cases. So much for being a super spreader event. Now, he always comes out and says, oh, wait a minute. There are 20 people, 20 Republicans that want to have a barbecue. That's a super spreader event. We got a super spreader event. I heard Joe Schmo down in Birmingham, Alabama, is having 20 people over for a barbecue. We have to stop these super spreader events. Sturgis, thousands of bicycles. By the way, who are the motorcyclists that are coming? Trump supporters, MAGA America firsters, super spreaders, right? But yet, when Obama has 600 people under a gigundous tent, which is enclosed, so technically it's not outdoors, does Fauci say anything about that super spreader event? Not a peep. Not a word. Why? Because they're all disingenuous. They're phony, elitist hypocrites. Do as I say, not as I do. And the optics that Barack Obama displayed blatantly on Saturday, dancing, and by the way, there were people, there was, they were not supposed to have any pictures, no pictures, no social media posts. Well, you know that wasn't going to last very long because a lot of the crew, the staff, the DJs, they started posting video and pictures. And he's hamming it up. He's dancing. He's having a great time. They've got great food, by the way. They've got a 
giant top shelf bar, cigars. By the way, people smoking cigars right at the party. Mr. Mr. Barack Obama, the man that allowed the FDA with the Family Smoking Prevention Act the ability to deem cigars as part of that act is throwing out top shelf cigars. As many as you want. Go ahead. Enjoy the cigars. Have at it. But if you want to have a cigar, oh, forget it. No chance. More hypocrisy. So they were they had over 200 catering staff and servers. 200. Plus the DJs and the entertainment. Spent a boatload. An absolute boatload of money. I have no problem with him doing that. He has the right to do that. But what I have a problem with is the Democrats and the, lib, the liberals and the libstream media that are jumping up and down saying, oh, Florida's a disaster, Texas, we have to shut it down and we need masking and we need this and social distancing, shut everything down. But yet they continue as normal. They continue to party like it's 1999. But if you want to have five people over to watch football, you're a super spreader. How dare you? How dare you? Don't you know that you are contributing to the virus spreading? Americans, the majority of Americans, see right through this. They are fed up. They will not be locked down again. We will not become Australia. We will not become France. We will not become New Zealand. We will refuse because when you look at the blatant hypocrisy, all you need to do is say, wait a minute. If it's good enough for them to have a big party with 600 people, it's good enough for me. Democrats and libs have an amazing ability to get around any regulations that they enact. They'll jump up and down on their soapbox decrying the fact that we have to close down and shut down and you shouldn't go to your hairdresser, you shouldn't go out, you shouldn't eat. But yet Nancy Pelosi goes in the middle of the pandemic, no problem, gets her hair done. Lori Lightfoot. Oh, we got a huge problem. We've got, to, we've got to continue to mask up and social distance. But at Lollapalooza in Chicago, what, 10, 20,000 people? They're all right on top of each other. But that's not a super spreader event. But if it were 10,000 Trump supporters listening to a Trump rally or just Trump supporters getting together in the park, oh, super spreader event. Got to close it down. Americans see right through this. The Democrats and liberals believe that they are smarter than you are. They believe that only they have the intellectual capability and capacity to make correct judgments on how to live their, your life. That you are so inferior to them that you need them to tell you how to live and what to do. And then you see the Libstream media, BSDNC, and the crap news network, CNN. There's some gal on CNN saying, well... The difference is, is that these are very sophisticated people attending, so therefore they're smart enough to, to, to understand they were distancing, they were vaccinated, please. And then I hear on CNN, I hear their morning, uh, uh, whatever her name is, Keeler, Brianna Keeler, I think is her name, talking, justifying that it's okay for Obama to have this because they're vaccinated and they're, they're taking temperatures and they're, they're wearing masks and they're social... But if Trump did the same thing at Mar-a-Lago, oh, it's a disaster. It's a crisis. We've got to stop this immediately. All of Florida, is this, this is going to be a super spreader event. The whole country is going to shut down. Do you see the hypocrisy? People are just fed 
up. They've had it. They have absolutely had it. When they see Nancy Pelosi saying, oh, we got to mask up in the Capitol chambers, but taking it off to take pictures. Or you see AOC outside, and before the cameras get turned on, oh, everybody, we've got to put our masks on just to show everybody. It is all kabuki theater. So, Obama, you want to throw a party? Be my guest. You want to have 8,000 people? Be my guest. But how dare you or any other Dem or Lib or member of the Libstream media point their finger and wag at us and say, you are responsible for super spreading this virus. You in Florida, you're not masking up. And you're the reason this continues. Baloney. We all know the truth. Oh, here's another one that's full of baloney. Part of the squad. Socialist, Marxist, enemy of America, Rashida Tlaib, congresswoman from the Detroit area. Remember, she went after Senator Rand Paul because Paul said, look, you need to resist the CDC guidelines. You don't need to wear a mask all the time. All this is nonsense. Well, she went after him and said that Paul is just, uh, he is ignoring the science. That's all, that's all we hear. You need to follow the science. Well, they've got video of Rashida Tlaib at a Palestinian wedding on Saturday evening. And she is living it up. Actually, it was a wedding in Dearborn. Dancing, posing for photos at a large indoor gathering. It wasn't Saturday. It was actually on Sunday at the Ford Community and Performing Arts Center in Dearborn. Which, by the way is rated an orange zone by the CDC. So it's a hot zone. No masks on anybody. They're all close dancing. She's whooping it up, having a great time. But yet, if you did the same thing, she, AOC, all the Dems, all the socialists, all the libs would come right after you. If Rand Paul had this party and with all the people dancing around, whipping it up, they'd be up his ass like you can't believe. If, if President Trump decided to have a party, 100 people, 500 people, with dancing and music and cigars and booze, oh, they would be apoplectic. How dare he? He's setting a terrible example. The one thing you have to realize about the elitist left, they view themselves as superior to you. They believe they're smarter than you are. They believe they are far intellectually superior in every manner. Their social standing is far superior to your. You're just a bunch of hicks. That's how they look at middle America. That's how they look at Trump supporters, that you're racist hicks. You know nothing of what you speak. You need us, the libs, to guide you and tell you how to live, how to be politically correct, and you're going to follow our rules. You're going to follow our SS-like rules. Well, America is fed up. And the reason that the Libstream media is going after Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida so hard is because Florida is thriving. I've lived in Florida 32 years. Our economy is booming today. Try getting a hotel room. Packed. Florida has now become a year-round state. It used to be a seasonal state. It was essentially from early November until right after Easter, and then the rest of the year you could shoot a cannon. Lie in the middle of the street, nobody would run over you. 
Not anymore. It is a year-round city, a year-round tourist destination. Governor Ron DeSantis said people have a right to work. People have, businesses have a right to be open and make money. They have bills to pay. We need to get people back to work. We're going to end this additional federal subsidy. we got tons of jobs available. And Florida is thriving. Now, are cases on the rise? Yes. But they make it like Florida's not vaccinated. 90% of seniors vaccinated. 50% of the state vaccinated. And they say, well, it's the ultra, ultra right, the Trump supporters, the MAGA, the America Firsters that aren't vaccinated. Wrong. The largest two groups that are unvaccinated are blacks and Hispanics. And we've got many rural people that aren't vaccinated. So the libs will always come back and preach. They'll stand on holy ground, look down at you and tell you, you got to follow them. But they will never follow their own rules. Never. And to these rhinos that actually want to roll over and acquiesce and become submissive dogs to the libstream media thinking that it'll get them in their good graces, you better wake up and think again. Grow a spine. Grow a set of nads. Grow a big set of titanium-plated balls. Start acting like alphas. Stand up to these clowns. So whenever I hear some of these libs, and I have libs that I know in town, or I'll see, and they'll say, oh, well, it's the libs that are spreading it, or the, Dem- or the Republicans that are spreading it. You're super spreaders. You don't believe in science. I say, I believe in science 100%. But the science coming out of the CDC and out of Fauci's mouth is pure fiction. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you exactly why it's fiction, and I'll tell you that a year and a half into this Wuhan virus pandemic, most hospitals and most medical doctors, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners still do not know how to treat the Wuhan virus. They treat it when it gets to a level that you must be admitted to a hospital. They're treating it incorrectly. I'm going to give you a real-life example and tell you exactly why. This pandemic is continuing when it could be eradicated even without vaccines. If you are looking to add a full-flavored cigar to your portfolio of cigars to enjoy, I've got the perfect selection for you. The Gurkha Nicaraguan series. It is loaded with Nicaraguan leaf from the renowned Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. The Gurkha Nicaraguan series features a Corojo 99 Nicaraguan wrapper, dual Corojo 99 binders, and Corojo 99 and Criollo 98 long fillers. The result, a super full-flavored cigar with loads of pepper, loads of spice, very rich, while maintaining absolute smoothness the entire time. Try the Gurkha Nicaraguan series. Add it to your portfolio. Add it to your humidor. You will be in for a super Nicaraguan puro cigar treat. Gurkha, the world's finest cigars. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Before we get to our final item today, let me tell you, Obama had cigars at his big shindig birthday party on Saturday. Now, I guarantee you, all those people that were smoking cigars, they're probably like, hey, listen, don't, don't tell anybody. Loves cigars. Who knows? Maybe, by the way, Obama, big cigarette smoker for many years. He, uh, he would still smoke in the White House. You notice he always would chew gum? That was a Nicorette. 
And who knows if he smokes a cigar now and then? I have no idea. Cannot, cannot tell you that. Oh, going back to Bobby Bowden for one second. Bobby Bowden, whenever he'd go on the golf course, there would always be Crown Royal and cigars. I found that out. I never knew that he enjoyed cigars and the Crown Royale. So who knew? But Obama had loads of cigars. Probably great cigars. But he's not the only one that has great cigars. If you are a member of the Cigar Dave's Officers Club, you too. And I'll tell you, you're going to enjoy better cigars than Obama. Because Obama's not a cigar connoisseur. He's not the general. All right? He doesn't have the cigar knowledge and the sophistication, refinement that yours truly. Because not only am I Alpha Dave, I'm also Cigar Dave. I have dual aliases. And the Cigar Dave Officers Club, if you join, you will get three fabulous premium cigars shipped to you every month. Now, for our August selection, you will not get three. No. You're going to get four. Why? Well, when I spoke to Alejandro Torrent, the man behind the part of the family behind Casa Torrent, he and his father, uh, Alberto. The Torrent family has been growing cigar tobacco in Mexico since 1880, and they grow phenomenal tobaccos. I mean, their San Andrés Moron, Maduro, the Corojo, Criollo in big demand. Phenomenal cigar tobaccos. And a few years ago, they came out with the Casa Torrent 1880 series. And it started with one, and now they have four different cigars in the lineup. They have the Claro, which uses a Mexican Habano Criollo San Andres Claro wrapper. It's more of a mild to medium-bodied cigar. Then they've got the Casa Turin 1880 Colorado, a little bit darker, a little bit more flavorful than the Claro. uses a Mexican San Andres Maron, or Maduro wrapper. It is a beauty. And then... There is the Casa Torrent Oscuro, a dark wrapper, Mexican Habano Criollo San Andrean. It's a nice, rich, hearty cigar. And lastly, the Casa Torrent Maduro. It uses a very, very dark, almost a near black San Andrean Maduro, fullest body of the Casa Torrent 1880 series. So you're going to get four of those cigars. And the reason is, when I talked to Alejandro Torrent, a couple of months ago, I said, look, Alejandro, I know you want to do the Casa Torrent 1880. So which three do you want to pick? Because we send out three cigars. And he said, no, I don't want to do three. I said, well, we have to do three because that's what our members sign up for. They get three. He goes, no, no, no. I want to do four. I can't just pick one of the four. Not because They're all my babies. I blended all these. I love them all. They're all different. I want your members to experience every one of these Casa Torrent 1880s. So let's do four. I said, if you want to do four, Alejandro, let's do it. So those of you that are members, you will receive late next week the Casa Torrent 1880, a vertical sampler. The Claro, the Colorado, the Oscuro, and the Maduro. Suggested retail, over $72. What do we charge us for membership? $22.95 per month. Now that's going to go up. Inflation, we have not had a rate increase in about five years. And I don't like to do rate increases. I like to give all of our members great value. We're probably going to have a rate increase, I would say, uh, probably beginning of the year, maybe sooner. But for now, it's $22.95 per month. You get three premium cigars. But for August, you're getting four Casa Torrent 1880s shipped to you in a customized Cigar Dave reusable Ziploc pouch. So go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. All the details there Our past selections. Join. Membership is month to month. Cancel at any time. 
We have a great cross selection. I pick the cigars personally. You will love them. And if you're going to be a true alpha male, you have to enjoy all of the alpha male lifestyle pleasure maneuvers. That includes cigars, spirits, grilling, uh, gambling, sports, all the appropriate alpha male activities and maneuvers. So go to CigarDave.com right now. Click on Officers Club. Join. You will be glad you did. That I can assure you of. Now I can assure you of something else. That after a year and a half into this Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, that the misinformation and the inability to correctly prescribe and treat the Wuhan virus before it gets to the viral replication and explosion stage, whereby patients would need to go into the hospital, it's not being treated properly. We are seeing that. Now, you will recall. Now, remember, here's one big problem. The only mouthpiece so far coming out of the government is Dr. Anthony Phony Fauci. He is a fraud. He is a blatant fraud. He has blatantly not treated this pandemic. He wants this pandemic to continue. I don't care what he says. And he wants to wait. He wants to come up with some sort of cocktail or a therapeutic, as he says, a pill that he can somehow get his hands on and be involved in to get lifetime royalties, or royalties at least for the next 17 years, once it's, it's uh, patented. We have the therapeutics today. Now, forget the vaccines for a second. Forget those. First and foremost, people are saying, well, the Wuhan, we know the Wuhan virus came from a lab. We know that it was genetically engineered by people in the lab, whether it was the PLA, the, the People's Liberation Army, part of the Chinese Communist Party, lab workers. We know that it was genetically engineered. A virus like that from bats does not just pass to humans and become a super virus. It simply does not. The spike protein was reinforced. They essentially took a bat virus that was like the SARS-CoV-1 uh, virus, and they manipulated it, made the spike protein, enhanced it, essentially supercharged it so it would spread easy. Now, was it released on purpose or accidentally? That we don't know. But I have a feeling that it was released possibly on purpose. I don't have any factual information to back that up on a limited basis to see how people would react. And I think it was released during the military games in September of 2019 just to see what the effect was. Well, I don't even think China realized and the members of the lab, the workers in the lab, realized what they had created. But there is no ifs, ands, or buts that we are seeing now a more transmittable mutation with this Delta, which is the Indian variation. I get so You know what? Call it the Indian variation. Call it the Peruvian variation. Call it the British variation. This Delta, Gamma, Charlie, Oscar, Lima is total nonsense. Look, if there's a variation in the U.S., call it the American variation. That doesn't mean we're racist against some country. I mean, is Nile virus a, 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 a slap at, at Egyptians? No, that's where the virus came from. I mean, West Nile virus, that's where West Nile, hello? Do we say Lyme disease? That's from Lyme, Connecticut. Are we basically discriminating against people from Lyme, Connecticut? No, that's just where it came from. The Hong Kong flu came from Hong Kong. 
I mean, these are common sense items here. But now everything has to be turned into racism. Everything has to be supercharged into xenophobia because Democrats need an enemy. They need to be able to demean Republicans and MAGA Republicans and conservatives and independents and those that don't believe in their ultra-liberal socialist and Marxist mandates. They have to create an enemy. They have to create a foil. So now everybody that disagrees with them, you're racist. Even now, people look and say, you know, you've played the race card about 18,000 times too many. Enough. It doesn't work anymore. Crying wolf. But when you take a look at phony Fauci, he has known that hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine has been shown to be effective as an ionophore to essentially penetrate the virus cells. Now, chloroquine is a zinc ionophore. Hydroxychloroquine is a zinc ionophore. If we go back to August of 2005 in Virology Journal magazine, which Dr. Fauci, I'm sure, reads. It comes from his own National Institutes of Health. Studies saying chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of the SARS-CoV-1 virus. Well, we know that CoV-1 and COVID-19 are 94% genetically similar. Same RNA, 94%. They are both coronaviruses with the crown and the spikes. We're seeing that it works. And when doctors started using and prescribing hydroxychloroquine, remember, when this uh, pandemic started, there was no playbook on how to treat this. But doctors started hearing that chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine is being used, and they heard zinc. Then they noticed that vitamin D levels in patients that were admitted, almost all patients in the ICU, had low vitamin D levels. So you start putting one plus one plus one plus one together. And remember, when you are in a war, you don't have time to say, well, I'll tell you what, let's do, as Fauci wants, three triple-blind uh, placebo trials over the next five years, and we'll report back in five years. When a MASH unit, remember the TV show MASH? That was, there's actually MASH medical units, and they are basically, they triage and they perform surgery in the field. Do you think they have time to say, hey, listen, we see that some guy's got a bullet, you know, he's got a bullet here, there's fragment here. Okay, well, um... Great, we'll get 10 x-rays, and then uh, tell you what, let's send them over to here for an MRI, then let's send them over to here, and let's check back in about three days. They have minutes. You're at war, and doctors and physicians were at war against the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. We know a lot more today than we did a year and a half ago. But even with that knowledge, most hospitals, most medical doctors, physicians, do not know how to properly treat the Wuhan virus prior to the viral load exploding in a human's body, which therefore necessitates a trip to the hospital, a stay in the hospital, and most likely, if it gets bad enough, a stay in the ICU. The goal should be to treat people before the virus explodes and need to get to a hospital. Can it be treated before? You better believe it. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not giving you medical advice. Do your own research. But I'm going to relay the research that I have done. And I've spoken to numerous physicians that have been following a certain protocol that has worked.
and a prophylactic protocol that has worked. So let me give you a perfect example uh, of what the misinformation and mistreatment of patients today, how it's being affected, how, what's going on today in the medical world. So I have a very good friend. Calls me, I don't know, about a week and a half ago or so. Says, I'm not feeling well. You know, I got the cold, I got the sore throat. I said, have you been tested for the Wuhan virus? No, I haven't been tested. I said, well, look, here's what I would do. If I were you, immediately I would start taking hydroxy or, uh, uh, um, quercetin. Quercetin, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin all have the same antiviral properties. They are zinc ionophores. They allow, essentially the interaction of zinc ions to get into a human cell. So you can have chloroquine alone, you can have quercetin alone, you can have hydroxychloroquine alone, but the problem is that's like the gun. You need a bullet, and the bullet is the zinc. So the hydroxychloroquine, the quercetin, opens up the cell because it's a zinc ionophore. It allows the zinc to go in, and zinc is known as a virus killer. It is an antiviral killer. It's that simple. So in addition to that, you should also take vitamin C, a thousand milligrams daily of vitamin C, and you should take 5,000 IU of vitamin D3. Now I'm not prescribing it. I'm not telling you. I'm simply giving you information. You make your own decision. You do your own research. It's out there. It's loaded on the internet. It hasn't been suppressed. It's everywhere. I mean, just do a study. I tell you what, do a search. Virology Journal, Chloroquine, August 2005. You will see Virology Journal come up. That is Phony Fauci's very own journal. And boom, there is an article in that showing that Chloroquine in vitro has shown to be effective against the SARS-CoV-1 virus. All right, I don't want to get too technical here. But my friend says, you know, I'm not feeling, you know, it's getting worse. Didn't take what I told him, okay? So consequently, he ends up calling his own physician. His physician says, I don't even see it. I won't even look at you. He said, if it gets bad, go to the emergency room. Now, physicians today are not even seeing patients, not even saying, well, we, we, we have a cocktail for that. We, we can treat this. So we don't, want to, we don't want you to get to the hospital stage. I would say 95% of physicians in this country, maybe, well, 90%, let's say, are not even treating it. I have another friend in New York City. Same thing. He gets tested. He's got it. He calls his physician. He says, I need to come in. You know, I've got the virus. I've got this throat, this, that. Nope. We don't do anything. If it gets worse, then you go to the hospital. I'm sorry. That is medical malpractice. The answer is, wait till you get sick enough to get to the hospital is not the correct answer. And unfortunately, 95% of physicians in this country and many hospitals and outpatient clinics, that's how they're treating it. Well, when it gets bad enough, then come back and see us. That is the incorrect treatment. Now, they would rather you get to the hospital so they can administer, and Fauci would be thrilled to administer a $3,000 dose or, or uh, 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 administer a, a uh, series of doses of remvesidir, which costs 3,000 grand total. 
3000 bucks. You get in the hospital today, you have a, a COVID patient, a Wuhan virus patient, I think the hospital gets a 20% surcharge. They're thrilled to have you in the hospital. But yet, we could avoid that with very simple, over-the-counter therapeutics that are readily available. And there are some others that are readily available but do need a prescription. So, you know, he calls me and says, what the hell? And I said, well, you should either find another doctor or you need to get to the drugstore immediately. And you need to take, find a combination. If you can't find a combination quercetin and zinc, you want to get 500 milligrams of quercetin. You want to have 25, 23 to 25 milligrams of elemental zinc. You want to take right off the bat, ton, you want to forget the 5,000, immediately start loading up. Take 10, 15,000 of vitamin D3, get it in your system, 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. And in the meantime, you want to also call, if your doctor won't do it, find another doctor that'll prescribe you azithromycin and an anti-inflammatory. Because what does the azithromycin do? That essentially acts as a flak jacket around your lungs. Because the way that this, the, the Wuhan virus gets in, yeah, you get the, it's an upper respiratory infection. It gets into your head, it gets into your throat, and then it travels into your lungs. And you want to keep it out of the lung stage. That's where many of the problems begin. Because then once it invades the lungs, then what happens? You get a pneumonia. You may have to go on a ventilator. God forbid you have to get intubated. It's too late. The key is to treat the Wuhan virus before the viral load explodes on the fifth or sixth day. Now, I have friends, and I tell them, don't even bother taking a test. You know, if you feel like you've got a sore throat, a sniffle, get it and get to your doctor. Don't even freaking wait for a damn test. So this friend in New York finds a doctor, says, yeah, zithromycin. Yep, I'll give you the anti-inflammatory. And says, oh, you're taking this other stuff? Great. Within a day. A day, he feels better, gone. Now, what was the alternative? Well, it could progress to the point where it invades his lungs, he gets a cough, can't breathe, his uh, O2 saturation levels, oxygenation, get below 90, get into the 80s. Then at that point, you're looking at a one-way trip to the ICU. Has the medical profession not figured out yet that we want to avoid sending patients to the ICU? I know this seems like a radical idea. And I'm going to have people saying, well, you're not a medical doctor, General. No, I'm not. I am not. But I am a tremendously intellectual individual that does tremendous research. I sound like Trump. Tremendous. The biggest ever. Tremendous. Sergeant Steve, what do you think? Tremendous. I mean, the most beautiful research you've ever seen. Would you not agree, Sergeant Steve? Yes. I mean, huge research. Tremendous. The most beautiful. You've never seen research like this. Only I could get research like this done. That's right. <laughs> Here's the reality. It ain't that hard, folks. But again, half of America is stupid. The ones that listen to Bold Alpha and the Cigar Dave Show, no. Because you're all alpha males and you have common sense. But we have people that are dumb lemmings. And I hate to say this. We have many people in the medical profession that are dumb lemmings that may have a medical degree, but they're listening to the bullshit that Fauci is spewing. When President Trump said, hey, hydroxychloroquine, we ought to take a look at it. You know what a physician should say? Fauci said, look, we don't have any hard evidence, but you know what? Let's bring in physicians that are treating them. Let's hear what they have to say. 
Why is it that a year and a half into this Wuhan virus pandemic, we've never, the White House or Congress has never congregated, never gathered a hundred of the frontline physicians that are treating this on a daily basis successfully before people get to a hospital? Why is it they've never brought them into one room together to talk? I'll tell you why. Because Fauci is insecure. Fauci wants to be the genius. He believes, talk about a Democrat that believes he's intellectually superior. He's very thin-skinned. Uh, I have read reports saying that even when he's criticized from colleagues, he doesn't react well within his own, with the, own the NIH and his own department. And that the reason that outsiders never criticize him, he controls a huge budget every year for research grants. Somewhere along the lines of, I think, half a billion dollars, maybe more, on an annual basis. People that have crossed paths with him get their research funding struck out. He's been sitting in that position for 40 years. He's approaching 82. It's time. It's time for him to go. And if the mistake that President Trump made, and even Biden is making, is not bringing other infectious disease experts in and letting them become a part of the panel and say, look, you know, Fauci, you know, you've got one brain, but I think, what's the old uh, two heads are better than one? Well, in this case, I'm going to bring in 50 heads. And I want to hear what they have to say. When was the last time phony Fauci treated a patient? Probably 40 years ago. He's a bureaucrat. He sits in an office. He hasn't, he, in his professional picture, he's got a lab coat on. He doesn't wear a lab coat. He's a bureaucrat. He's not in the lab. And he's not in, uh, in an office setting, a clinical setting, seeing patients. I want physicians that are out there on the front lines. And there are thousands of physicians that know how to treat this properly. That say, as soon as someone comes in, when there was a week, 10-day wait to get the results of Wuhan virus tests, doctors weren't waiting. The smart doctors were saying, I'm putting in a hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. We're going to put you on zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C azithromycin, and an anti-inflammatory. We're going to kill this before the viral load explodes on the fifth or sixth day. What happens in virtually every single case when the virus is treated that way before the viral load explodes and multiplies? When it's treated in the aforementioned manner, patients stay out of the hospital. They stay out of ICU, and they recover quickly. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone is going to have the same results. Why? Some people may have underlying conditions. But in most every instance, this pandemic would be over if we treated the virus in that manner and also prophylactically gave every American a 500-milligram tablet of quercetin daily, 25 milligrams of elemental zinc, a tablet of, or a little, it's like a little gel cap of vitamin D3, 5,000 IU and 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. If we gave every American and told them, take this every day, one of these, every morning you take this, this virus would have nowhere to go because zinc and the quercetin act as viral killers. It essentially, they're anti they, they essentially shut down the virus. The virus just ends up getting whacked. It's that simple. 
And you can't just take the chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and quercetin alone. It has to be combined with zinc, just like you can't take zinc alone. Why? Because zinc needs a zinc ionophore to be able to open up the cell so the zinc can get in and destroy the virus. If we put every man, woman, and child, and it's all safe, there are no side effects. If we put every man, woman, and child in this country and around the world on it, we would have this pandemic eradicated. That's simple. Doctors that have treated patients this way and have placed patients subsequently on a prophylactic dose of this treatment have done great. They haven't gotten it. And I can tell you that I take the, the, the one hydroxychloroquine a week, but I also take the quercetin daily, the zinc daily, the vitamin C daily, the vitamin D3 daily. Take it every day. And I've been taking it. Knock on, I've also been vaccinated. I got the two of the Pfizer vaccines. But still, even though you have the vaccine, you want that treatment. Call it the Zelenko protocol. Call it the, the anti-Wuhan virus protocol. Whatever you want to call it. Discuss it with your physician. I'll give you another example. I get a call from a friend, 85 years old, a year ago. Was out to dinner with several, with the neighbors for dinner. Gets a call three days later. Husband tests positive for the Wuhan virus. So does the wife. <clears throat> he says, you may want to get tested. Fine. He goes and get, he and his wife get tested. Sure enough, this friend of mine, he is positive, get test positive for the Wuhan virus. His wife negative. All right. So calls his doctor. His doctor says, you don't do anything. You may just be asymptomatic. Well, a couple of days later, starts to get the sore throat, starts to get tired, starts to get lethargic, starts to get a little bit of, you know, starts to feel like, you know, uh, maybe getting, starting to get a little cough, something along those lines. So after a couple of days, it gets worse. He calls his physician. His physician prescribes an anti-inflammatory. Now, when he called me and told me that, I said, uh, okay, that seems to me like partly a partial treatment, but it's missing a number of other things. But we'll see what happens. Well, sure enough, a couple of days later, he gets worse. He calls me and said, listen, I know you talked about that uh, protocol to go on. I said, yeah, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3. I said, I'll send you information, but you should make up your own mind. I didn't tell him he should do it, he must do it. I simply said, here's the research, here's the articles, here's videos, here's what physicians that have treated this way are saying, you make your own call. So he and his wife review the information, he calls his physician. His physician says, I don't normally treat it that way. However, if that's what you want, I will prescribe it. My friend says, yes, that's what I want. So late that afternoon, his wife goes to the pharmacy and gets the hydroxychloroquine. Gets the zinc, gets the vitamin D, gets the vitamin Z3, also gets the azithromycin. He's already on an anti-inflammatory. He takes it that afternoon. That night, still feels lousy, doesn't feel so great. Next morning, wakes up, starts to feel better. Doesn't feel as lethargic, doesn't feel, you know, like he's just dragging, that flu-like feeling you get. Takes it again the next morning. 
by that afternoon. Feels better. Tells his wife, I want to go into the office and get my mail. She says, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right at home. So feels better. The next morning, wakes up, feels great, takes it again, again, gone. Symptoms are gone. You know, the sore throat, gone. Congestion, gone. Lethargy, gone. He's playing tennis five days later. So this physician calls him, you know, after he was on this for, you know, three days to see how he's doing. He's saying, hey, just checking on you. How you doing? He said, I feel great. All gone. The doctor says, what? He said, took it. As soon as my wife got it, took a dose that night, took one the next morning, started to feel better already, took one again yesterday morning, and I feel took it again today because I'm on it, but I feel great, energy, no symptoms, I'm ready to go. This physician says, you know, I think I ought to start looking at treating patients this way. And so my friend said, why don't you? He said, well, you know, we always heard from Fauci and all these other people that hydroxychloroquine is bad. It can present issues with heart, cardiac issues, which, again, total nonsense. Very, very, very rare. Hydroxychloroquine has been a, a drug that's been used for 60 years. It's approved for women that are pregnant, for kids. It has been used around the world. It is on the World Health Organization's list of essential drugs. So his, his physician friend says, I, I, I'm shocked. He says, you know, I, I think we were fed a lot of nonsense. And then we also heard that it didn't work. Well, a lot of the studies they did with hydroxychloroquine were not done with zinc, were not done with azithromycin. And oh, by the way, they were people that were in the ICU where the viral load had already exploded and it was too late. Moral of the story. Several morals. Number one, Physicians got trapped and trapped in the political games of phony Fauci and the Democrats and the hysteria. Number two, physicians did not research and see what other physicians have been doing because many of those other physicians that were treating successfully with that regimen were deplatformed on social media. On Facebook, Twitter. They were deplatformed. Why? Because it didn't meet the objectives of the Democrats. Phony Fauci could not simply allow a $25 regimen to be the accepted practice to treat the Wuhan virus because he spent $76 million of American taxpayer funds. $76 million of American taxpayer funds to develop remvesidir. And has it been effective? Marginally. 3000 bucks for the treatment. And the only thing that's been shown is that if you're going to come out of the hospital, instead of saying, staying X number of days, it cuts it down maybe three, four days. That's it. But if you're in the ICU, remvesidir may not be working. 3000 bucks probably not working. We have a solution. Doctors must be informed. Hospitals must be informed. The answer to patients is, oh, you've got, you think you've got it? You test positive? I won't see you. Just go to the emergency room. That is incorrect. And this other friend of mine that ended up going to uh, his physician that turned him away, he ended up going to one of those urgent care centers run by one of the big hospitals here in, in, uh, in the Tampa Bay area. They said, well, we'll give you an anti-inflammatory, but that's all we give. He's like, well, what about anything else? No, that's how we treat it. Again, had he not gone to my physician, had I not referred him to my physician who set him straight, 
put them on the proper protocol. And by the way, talk to them two days later. How are you feeling? Fantastic. Feel great. Just, you know, your doctor's a rock star. Fantastic. And now he's got me on the right prophylactic treatment so I can keep it away. And by the way, as we are recording this, I see that Cuomo is resigning. She is going to uh, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul from Buffalo becoming the New York State governor, first dame to be governor. Cuomo in 14 days. Oh, in 14 days. Kim Jong Cuomo is gone. That rat bastard, bye-bye. Total, absolute fraud. Another one. Do you know that in New York State, I've spoken to many physicians that I'm friendly with who would love to use hydroxychloroquine in concert with zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, azithromycin, and anti-inflammatory to treat the Wuhan virus. Do you know that Cuomo signed an executive order forbidding New York State physicians, forbidding them to write any prescriptions for the use of the Wuhan virus. They will go after their license. They will prosecute them. Now, if somebody needs it for malaria, fine. But if somebody needs it for the Wuhan virus treatment, and I have multiple physicians I've spoken to in the last year that are irate, saying, we know this works. We know it works. But again, guys like, and I'm watching him on, I've got Fox News on right now, and you can see he's talking. I, have, I don't have the sound on, but you can see he's probably giving his line of bullshit, his, his sob story, that he's so wonderful. Let me tell you, his father was a son of a bitch, Mario Cuomo, and, so, and I knew Mario Cuomo, and so is Andrew Cuomo. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They're two SOB bastards. The crumbling empire state of New York, far better without him. Far better. Especially, talk to all those business owners that were locked down. A third of businesses in New York closed. Unemployment that was rampant. People that were locked down. Please. The man who is a, a, a senior citizen killer that stuffed Wuhan virus patients that were still infected back in nursing homes. President Trump said, you want the ship? The comfort ship will get it out of dry dock in five days. Sets it up for him in New York City. You need a mobile hospital? We'll set up the Javits Center. You know how many patients went there? Bubkis. None. Probably 100 total. Total fraud. President Trump gave him everything he wanted. We need ventilators. Remember Cuomo? We need ventilators. We must get ventilators. Well, they got him ventilators. They didn't need ventilators. And then when he said, in order to come into New York State, you have to get a COVID test, you can't come in. But he goes down to Charleston, South Carolina for a weekend under the guise of, well, I want to thank South Carolina for sending us ventilators. I think South Carolina sent 10. But he goes for the weekend, and he comes back, and they say, well, Governor, did you test? No need, because I'm essential personnel. Again, do as I say, not as I do. That's the fraud that's going out. Total fraud, Bye bye he's history, see ya. But getting back to the Wuhan virus, we could easily treat this. It is not rocket science. When physicians around the world are finding ways, ivermectin is being shown to be a great antiviral. Hydroxychloroquine, uh, quercetin, along with zinc, everything I just said. It's out there. Do the research. You do it yourself. You are smart enough. As an alpha, you are smart enough to make up your own mind. And these are over-the-counter uh, 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 remedies that are available to you. As I said, do your own research. 
But isn't it amazing that now Fauci is working with Pfizer and several other big pharma companies trying to come up with a, with a therapeutic pill? As Fauci said, we need to find one pill that's easy. We can't have a cocktail that's too hard. We need one pill. Sure, you know what's going to happen? They'll come out with that one pill, that Pfizer pill, and it'll cost you probably, even if you're, you're on insurance, it'll probably still cost you, your copay will be like 100 bucks for it. And if you're not, it'll be some ridiculous amount like 20 bucks a pill. When we have a treatment, you can go out. I think a bottle of combination quercetin and zinc is, I think, 20 bucks for a month's supply. Vitamin C, geez, I just bought a bottle. I think I bought a 90-day supply, 1,000 milligrams. I don't know, it was like 18 bucks. And the vitamin D3, same thing. I think I got a bottle of like 180. You take one a day, so that'll last you six months. Same thing, it was like 22 bucks, maybe less. We don't need big pharma. The ability to prophylactically protect yourself from the Wuhan virus is there and to treat it if you contract it and get it before the viral load explodes on that fifth or sixth day is there for 20, 25 bucks. And most people's insurance, there's a zero copay. Zero. But again, Fauci, let's send everybody to the hospital. Let's get them $3,000 from Vesadir. Let's get them all these other uh, uh, fancy treatments. And I'm not saying they're not effective. And some people, once they do get to the hospital, yes. But the key is, one more time, keep people out of the hospital. You get them in the hospital, chances are higher they'll go into the ICU. We want them out of the hospital. We want them out of the ICU. Let's look at a method that is available, that has been successful the last year and a half in treating and prophylactically combating the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. Wake up, medical profession. Wake up, physicians that were brainwashed by phony Fauci. You are doing your patients a huge disservice. Do the research. Quercetin, zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin D3. I have given you the tools. I've given you the ammo. Now you do your own research. I've got four or five articles in front of me right now. Chloroquine is a zinc ionophore. Here's another one. Quercetin inhibits rhinovirus replication in vitro and in vivo, meaning in the test tube and in humans. What's rhinovirus? That's the common cold. There's no FDA-approved drugs for that. But quercetin, which is a plant flavonoid, blocks viral replication. It also inhibits the virus-stimulated cytokine expression. That's when the virus explodes. So there's another article in the U.S. National Library of Medicine National Institutes of Health. It's on the NIH's own site. Here's another one. Antiviral effects of quercetin through zinc ionophore activity. Here's another one. Studies show zinc inhibits viral replication. So all of these articles are out there. They're in the public domain. And how many physicians have taken the time to go home for an hour and research them? Not many. Let's keep Wuhan virus patients out of the hospital. The sooner we can do this, get everybody on a prophylactic regimen, the sooner this pandemic will be bye-bye, will be nothing. It'll be like less than the common cold. Again, the Democrats don't want that. They want this to perpetuate at least until 2022, to lock everybody down. Definitely 2024. They want to keep this going in perpetuity. They can control the lemmings. 
The 50% of Americans that are dumb lemmings that'll follow whatever a dem or a lib is told or the libstream media tells them. We're not lemmings. We're smart alphas and we do our own research. We make up our own minds. We live our own lives. Alpha Dave, your global five star general and alpha male in chief. Remember, do your own research. We can whip the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. The ammo is there, as always. Live it up.